Hello and welcome to Apostolic Voice, the podcast. I'm your host, Ryan French. I'm glad you're with me today. It's Father's Day weekend, and we're going to be talking about five things that every parent needs to be talking about with their children if we want our children to stay in church. Now, my children are still young. Julia is with me, and she's about to talk with us in just a moment. She's 13, going on 21. Talmadge is 11. So I'm not claiming that I have all of the answers because I'm still a parent with young children, but they do love the Lord. They have the Holy Ghost. I'm very proud of them, and they stand for their faith. And Julia is going to give us her perspective on the very first point of what things we need to be talking about with children if we want them to stay in church. We live in a different world than the world I grew up in. We certainly live in a different world than the world my parents and grandparents grew up in. And it's vital that the church takes time to talk about difficult issues, things that are uncomfortable, things that perhaps we've left unaddressed in the past. And, uh, and I want us to be thinking about these things over the Father's Day weekend. I think it would be right for us to do so. Four of the, the five areas that we're going to talk about today are subjects that the church has largely remained silent on in the last several decades. And it's time to face the ugly reality that our church's retention rates of young adults is, is very low. It's rapidly dwindling. The stories of tragedy are countless and remarkably similar. The scenario usually goes something like this. Jamie graduates from high school where humanism, atheism, secularism, and every other ism you can imagine has been crammed into her head for the last decade or more. But until recently, Jamie always went home to a mom and dad, hopefully, who worked hard to combat the onslaught of worldly concepts and temptations infiltrating her mind. But when Jamie goes to college, she faces the same battles that she fought in high school only now they're even more intensified. One key element changes to Jamie's disadvantage. She no longer goes home to the stability of a godly home. Jamie has more freedom, more independence, more responsibility, more pressure, more temptations, more opportunity for failure, and less support. Sadly, many times the Jamies in our churches simply are not equipped to withstand the philosophical, moral, spiritual, and psychological battles that blindside them fresh out of high school. Somehow, somewhere, before Jamie reaches these critical years, she must develop her own intimate, personal relationship with God if she's going to withstand the cultural onslaught that young adulthood brings. So what is the church's role in all of this? I believe it's significant. In fact, it's paramount. Outside of parents, nothing can impact and shape the hearts of students like the properly functioning body of Christ. And it's vitally important that the church, especially the leadership, is aware and concerned about the challenges facing their young adults. Backsliding is never instantaneous. It's a slow, hard, often silent development, and it's an internal process that usually doesn't manifest itself outwardly until it's almost completely germinated. That's why scripture tells us to train up a child in the way he or she should go. Nothing can replace the shaping done during an individual's formative years, arguably adolescence and young teens. So when Jamie goes to college, she will subconsciously draw from behaviors and patterns learned long ago. So for the church to retain its young adults, it must maintain thriving child, adolescent, and preteen ministries and take advantage of formative years and equip them for a lifetime of success. Spiritual development is a lifelong process, and it begins best at the youngest age possible. So, 
We're going to get into the five things that we need to be talking about. And let me just give uh, a little added, a little addition here that isn't in the original article at RyanAFrench.com, shameless plug. It's not in the original article, but I do want to say that I don't recommend any longer. I don't think it's really healthy or a good idea, if avoidable, to just ship a young adult, a young teenager really, off to a secular college somewhere far away from home, living in the dorm life and all of those kinds of things. I've seen firsthand how tragic that can end. And uh, I, I think there are very rare situations where that's a good idea. It'd probably be best not to do that. So I'm just going to throw that out there for the record. And we're going to dive right into five things that we need to be talking to our kids about if we want them to stay in the church. I'm here with Julia, my daughter, 13 years old. Julia, I'm so glad that you're here with me on the podcast for the very, very first time. And uh, I want us to talk today about the very first thing that I believe parents should be talking to their kids about if we want them to stay in the church. And that is the subject of evolution, the Big Bang, or uh, in the article I put science uh, and the theory of evolution in particular. Now, for all the parents out there and for you, Julia, I want to say that I don't believe, and Julia, I think you know that I'm not anti-science, I'm not against science, but we should be against scientific theories that have an anti-God agenda, and I think you know, because we've talked about it many times, that not everything that's called science is actually science. A lot of times it's just, just a theory that has been wrapped up in sometimes what I call the religion of science. So, uh, Julia, welcome. Good to, good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> she's a little shy, and she's a budding introvert. She's not a full-blown, loudmouth introvert like me yet. Um, but, Julia, was it two years ago now? You're just coming out of your second year mm-hmm. of public school, and... As you know, I, I didn't want you to have to go to public school. You wound up going um, because of circumstances that were out of my control and out of your control. And I was concerned that you would be taught theories like, of course, the Big Bang and, and evolution in general. I was concerned, so I bought you a book, and uh, I, it was boring. I made you read it. Did you read all of the book? I did read all of it. You did read all the book. And um, I'll put in the show notes for parents out there, I'll put what that book is. It's surprisingly hard to find books from a Christian perspective that address things like evolution and the Big Bang from a Christian perspective that's written for uh, 11, 12, 13-year-old children. It's very hard, but I did find one. 
Would you say the book was helpful? Would you say that it wasn't helpful? Be honest. It's okay. I would say it was, but I read it a really long time ago. And it was probably harder for people that are younger to understand because it was very scientific, lots of big words. So you did, I did. encounter teaching about the Big Bang and evolution yes. in public school. Was it pretty quick when you got in? Uh, yeah, it's basically what everyone believes in public school, so it's just thrown around everywhere. So would you say, and we've talked about this, but I want you to just, I want to get your perspective here uh, live. Would you say that your teacher taught it as as a fact, or oh, did yes. they present it as a theory? It was taught as a fact. And most of the students, did they seem to accept it as a fact, or oh, did yeah. you sense pushback? Them, no, all of them believed it like it was a fact. Yeah, so it was, and for listeners, you need to know that we're right here in the Bible Belt. We're on the south side of Atlanta in in the great state of Georgia. 99% of people that you would meet here consider themselves to be devout Christian of some kind, uh, mostly Baptist, I would say. But this would not be uh, a liberal state where you would expect things like that to be taught and accepted just carte blanche with no pushback. So did you feel ill-equipped to handle that when it was taught to you? How? What was no, your thought process? I was process? strong in my beliefs. Um, I was able to know what was right and what was wrong. But most kids there have been hearing it their whole lives, so they probably can't, which is really sad that they teach it as a fact because these kids don't get the option to um, believe what they want to believe. Right. Or even be Christian at all because they're always around people that are saying they're Christian, but they the way they act and be different. So I'm going out on a limb here when I say this, but knowing some of the students and their parents, many of those kids' parents consider themselves to be Christian. Yeah, they consider Christians, but... And many of those parents probably don't actually believe in the theory of evolution or the Big Bang. The problem is, from my perspective, and I, I could be reading in a little bit, but I think this is fairly true. Parents don't do a good job of talking to their kids about it. Maybe they're intimidated. Maybe they don't understand it, whatever the reason is. And so uh, kids go into these, these school systems and they're taught things and no one's, no one's really refuting it or, or helping them. Now, I would love to get all of the credit for your strong faith and for how you view evolution and all of that. But I want you to just be honest. I don't want you to just give me credit if it's not entirely true. If it is true, I just want you to, you know, claim it, grab it, <laughs> blab it, all of that. But but I want you to really look inside and be honest and and help some parents and other kids maybe understand how did you develop your understanding of how the world began, where we came from? How did you how did you solidify uh, your belief that we didn't come from a Big Bang or from amoebas or monkeys? You believe that God created us. How did that solidify in your mind at a young age, at 13? Well, I grew up in church where there was only one way. So I just kind of had faith in 
the people I looked up to, I just had faith, and I knew that they were right. Um, and I read the Bible, and I knew all of that at a younger age. Do you remember hearing teaching about it in Sunday school? Mm -hmm. Did yeah. people talk specifically about it in yeah. Sunday school and youth mm -hmm. group? I know that our pastor, Grandpa, has talked about it many yeah, times. Yeah, we all have very strong opinions, so I just knew what was right from the start. Yeah, so you've heard it preached on specifically mm -hmm. or taught on specifically. It's not unusual for you to hear that talked about in, in a teaching service of some kind. It's good to have faith, and it's good to have read the Bible, but for some people, even though they've heard it taught and things like that, when they when they are confronted with the teaching of evolution and the Big Bang, their faith is shaken. Well, Did, when I hear it, it's just crazy. There's no way. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Did you ever have a, you know, a faith shaker moment where your faith was not, shaken and you wondered? Not at all. Now well, walk us through why. Everything teaches, like, there's no way it's possible. But I see that um, most kids just don't see all the um, red flags. So are you able to give an example of a red flag that jumps out at you when you hear it taught or yeah. talked about? It's just weird to me that we came, that they could even fathom that we came from animals or that wolves could come from dolphins or that we could come from frogs. Uh, now, you and I have talked about this. Christians get kind of beat up sometimes because they say we don't believe in any form of evolution, and that's not really oh, true. Yeah. Well, the base of evolution, the base of it is solid, but like what they get from it, what they try to take from it is just crazy. Right. So like we know that there is some form of evolving that happens within yeah. species. Uh-huh, yeah. But the idea that there could but be cross you can't species. Get a new species from a species is like they could change um for the better, but like they don't evolve into a brand new species. They're not going to evolve into a brand new yeah. exactly right. And and so and then of course we've also talked about with the Big Bang, no matter what you do with the Big Bang, you get down to the question, there is an explosion, but where was that one, right. where was that one piece of, you know, microscopic matter that was able to explode? Yeah, where did the Big Bang come from? <laughs> right, right. So no matter what you do to get rid of God in science, you go back mm -hmm. to having, at the very beginning, there has to have been some higher power. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Now, a lot of a lot of prominent evolutionists will go back and say, "Well, there is a higher power, and it's probably extraterrestrial life somewhere, maybe right. in, in a more evolved yeah, species." Yeah, where's the extraterrestrial life going? Right. So, where's the extraterrestrial life? No matter how you argue, you could argue all day, but you just can't find an explanation. There's no explanation, and I'm glad. I'm very glad that it didn't. You know that it was crazy sounding to you from the mm -hmm. beginning. What would you say? to 12, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids like you that are going into public school settings and they're being taught this, what, what would you say to help them think clearly? Do you have any advice for them? I would say read the Bible and make good friends. When people ask you, do people ask you, I guess I should say, do people ever ask you in school what if you believe it? Have you ever been asked to speak out about it? Um... I haven't been asked, but I've told people that I don't believe it. 
So you've used opportunities to talk to other kids about your faith. Well, that's awesome. Well, I sure love you, sweetie. I'm proud of you. Thank you for being on Apostolic Voice. And we're gonna and we're gonna do our outro music. It's gonna be fun. You ready? Here we go. One, two. about five things every parent needs to be talking about with their kids every church needs to be talking about with their kids youth group young adults really everybody but especially our kids if we want them to stay in the church and i believe that we all want our children to stay in the church for a lifetime i believe as as a pastor my first responsibility is to minister to my family to my kids my wife And um, my greatest desire is to see my family saved. I want to reach everyone that I possibly can, but I don't want to get so caught up reaching the world that I don't reach my family. And that's everyone's calling as a parent. If you're a parent, your number one responsibility is to train your children up so they can be ready to meet the Lord. And the very first point we looked at with my daughter, Julia, was science and the theory of evolution in particular. We need to be talking about that. But number two is morality, God's plan for human sexuality and the family. This is one of those subjects that churches go go pretty... Yeah. Yeah, churches just get quiet when it comes to this. Uh, we're afraid to talk about it. It's uncomfortable, I understand. But the problem we have in our world is Hollywood, public schools, the internet peers, and every other facet of culture talks about human sexuality and morality or the lack of morality all the time. Everywhere you go, this is being talked about. And young people in particular, teenagers, preteens now, even very young children are exposed to things that they should absolutely not have to be exposed to. But they are, and so as parents, as churches, we have to be willing to talk about these things in a mature, loving, godly, patient way, and we're going to have to talk about issues that we don't like talking about, homosexuality, the transgender movement now, talking about saving ourselves for marriage and why we do this, the Bible's plan for family, the Bible's plan for marriage God's will for human sexuality to be within the covenant marriage relationship and why this is best for the people of God and why we're obedient to this and and how it affects our lives. This is incredibly important, and yet so many youth groups and churches completely ignore these conversations. And so 
it's a one-sided conversation that young people are having regarding morality. They're, they're getting all of the conversation from the world, and there's almost no interaction within the church about these things that are heavy on their minds. And, uh, and the church has to fix this. We have to be facing these things, talking about it, writing about it, uh, one-on-one conversations, of course, where it's appropriate. We have to be careful how we do that. But there does need to be mentoring taking place. And specifically, this is the parents' jobs. So many parents abdicate their role and do not have these conversations with their kids. Or, or if we do, we, we do it quickly and we kind of uh, awkwardly push through it, the birds and the bees and all of that kind of thing. And then we just, we think, oh, I've done it. It's done. I don't ever have to do it again. These conversations have to be ongoing. We have to come back to them. We have to constantly be reaffirming what's right and what's wrong, what's biblical, what's not biblical, why and how. And we need to be we need to be getting a feel for how our children are, are thinking about these things. Are they hearing it from other places? And you will be shocked, I promise you, you will be shocked at the things your kids know already because they're hearing it even if they're not trying to hear it, just walking into school. They're going to hear things and it's going to put a question mark in their minds and they need you to answer those questions. They need you to be a voice that they're comfortable hearing. They don't need to feel awkward going to you. They don't need to feel like it's, you know, some kind of icky, horrible thing to be able to talk to you. You want them to be talking to you. You want them to be conversing with you about these things. Of course, you do it with dignity. You do it maturely and all of that. But you want to be the voice they're listening to. And uh, I promise you, there are other voices competing for their attention, and you want to be the primary voice in their life. Okay, moving on to number three, we need to be talking with young people about the Bible and why it can be trusted as the literal word of God. I can't overemphasize how important this is. It's no secret the Bible has been under attack in one way or another since, since its inception, and Here in America, they may not be burning Bibles in the streets, but liberal academia has been doing its best to undermine the Bible for centuries, but it's really ramped up in the last two or three decades. Colleges and college professors and even high schools now are very anti-Bible, and and they indoctrinate young people with this, and they don't care if you read it as long as you don't trust it for absolutes. And even liberal Christianity attacks the the authenticity of the Bible, the literalness of the Bible. And so there is a whole element, segment of Christianity that views the Bible as being littered with mistakes and errors. And so you'll hear things like this. The Bible contains truth. But the Bible is not absolutely true. So you can take nuggets of truth from the Bible, but you can't trust every word of the Bible for for truth. This is very dangerous because it sets people up to be able to say what parts of the Bible are true, correct, and which parts of the Bible we can lay aside. Of course, this is incredibly dangerous. Satan's been using this strategy ever since 
ever since the church first received letters from from Paul, ever since Moses wrote the Ten Commandments, Satan has been fighting the Word of God. It's no different today. But we have to reaffirm the veracity of the Bible. We have to reaffirm the trustworthiness of the Bible. We need to go through and show all of the areas of Scripture as best we can, explaining how the Word of God has proven itself to be true over and over again, not just anecdotally through the miraculous things that we've witnessed or have happened in our lives or that we've experienced, even though those are powerful testimonies, we should share those things. But scientifically, the Bible has been proven true over and over again. Also, the prophecies that Scripture foretold, thousands of prophecies that have come to pass, the fact that the Bible was written over hundreds and thousands of years and all of it comes together to formulate the perfect Word of God, not contradicting itself, all of this is amazing and incredibly true. And we need to be reinforcing this and talking about it. Number four, we need to be talking about popular culture, holiness, and what it means to live righteously. When I say popular culture, I don't mean that we need to be uplifting popular culture in our conversation, but we do need to be addressing things that are happening, good and bad, in popular culture. We need to be referencing that with holiness, and we need to be contrasting what it means to live righteously with how unrighteousness permeates our culture. And we need to be reinforcing the idea in children and young people that just because something is popular doesn't make it evil, and just because something is popular doesn't make it good either. The church has to stand on the front lines of the culture wars and promote godliness in a clear, loving, well-thought-out way. We can't just rail against the culture. I, I know it sounds funny because if you're familiar with my my ministry at all, you'd know that I, I have soapboxes and I, and I have no problem taking a stand against the culture. But we can't just rail against it with like a knee-jerk reaction. There has to be a clear reasoning behind why we take a stand against something that's culturally popular. And it can't just be because we don't like it either. It needs to be uh, because it's contrary to the Word of God. If something in popular culture is contrary to the Word of God, we stand against it. If it's not, then we say, well, thank God this isn't something that's that's uh, sending people to hell. And uh, it may not be my favorite thing, but, you know, praise the Lord, we'll just keep on walking. So we need to be engaged in the conversation regarding culture all around us. The culture wars are are raging still, and it, it gets a little overwhelming because you can go on so many different fronts. You can, you can talk about the culture of Hollywood. You can talk about underground culture. You can talk about the fashion culture. You can talk about uh, regional cultures. If you're in the South, there's certain culture. If you're in the North, there's certain culture, things that are socially acceptable and things that aren't. You can talk about the drug culture. We can talk about political culture. We could go on and on and on. Academic culture. All of these things are things the church needs to be discussing. And we need to be well-reasoned in our discussions with our, our kids. We need to be paying attention to what our kids are paying attention to. So if we notice that that something is is 
captivating their attention, then we need to be studying up on that and be able to have a conversation with them about it. All right, number five, and this is the most important one. We need to be talking to our kids about their relationship with Jesus because none of the things we've talked about above will matter without a close experiential relationship with Jesus. Relationship with God will sustain a heart even when storms rage all around, when everything is going crazy. If, if our children have a right relationship with God, I don't just mean that they, they believe all of the right things or they have all of the right theories in their minds or all of the right theology. They need to have a relationship with God through prayer, through interacting with him, through the flowing, the operation of the Holy Ghost in their lives, the gifts of the Spirit operating in their lives. Because just believing the right thing isn't enough. We have to have a relationship with God, and especially children, because relationship will sustain them when confusion settles in. And confusion will settle in at some point. The haze of this world is so thick. The fog of deception is so thick. At some point, a heart is going to be overwhelmed by that fog. But if they have a relationship with Jesus, that relationship will sustain them through the dark times of uncertainty, through doubt, through fear, through persecution, through anything the world can throw at them. Relationship will sustain them through it all. So everything we talked about up to this point, science, morality, sexuality, the Bible, and its trustworthiness, culture, holiness, righteous living, all of those things, all of those things have to be undergirded by relationship with Jesus. We can't just talk theology and theory. We have to create environments and opportunity for young people, children, teenagers, young adults to grow in their relationship with the Lord. This happens, I'll just break it down. This happens by having good church. This happens by being faithful to the house of God and being a part of a community of believers that are open to the flowing of the spirit where hearts can be touched and changed and moved in an altar. The altar is really where this happens. Prayer and the altar, whether it be prayer at home or prayer corporately at the church, all of this relationship will happen in an altar and through prayer. And as parents, we have to model this. We have to create opportunities. I'll give you an example. Here I am, 38 years old, feeling a little too old for, uh, for teen camps and all of those kinds of things. But I make an effort every summer to drive Talmadge and Julia. And Taylor is right at the forefront of, the, of it these days. We take Talmadge and Julia to every teen camp service, even if they're not the age for teen camp. We'll take them to every senior camp service, even if they're not the age. As many junior camp services as we can, even if they're not the age. This year, we went to uh, a four-day conference every single service because I'm creating opportunities because I know that my relationship with God was sustained because of services that I was able to be in as a young person and a child where I came into contact with the Holy Ghost in such a powerful way that when the winds of the world were pushing against me, I remembered that relationship with God. I felt that relationship with God so strongly that when doubts came to my mind, 
I could always fall back on my experience with God, my relationship with the Lord. And this is so important. We have to create those opportunities for our kids. If we do that, if we do that, I believe that our kids will serve the Lord. At least, as I say often, no matter what happens in life, if my kids don't serve the Lord when they're grown, it's going to be over my dead body. And I'm going to be able to stand before God and say, I did everything. Lord, I did everything that I could. I created every opportunity that I could. I was as faithful as I could be. I talked about it. I preached it. I lived it. I lived it in the pulpit and I lived it at home. I I demonstrated it in every way that I could. And I'll be able to stand before God with a clean conscience. That's what being a father is really all about. That's something to think about this Father's Day. Hey, dads, go out there and keep being great dads. Love your kids. Love God. Love your church. Love your family. Love your wife. Demonstrate the love of Christ. Happy Father's Day and God bless you. And uh, she'd been hearing all of that all of her life anyway. And I wanted to make sure that she was, okay, everyone's moving. And Oliver is lapping water. <laughs> ah! This is going to be in the outro. It's be in the blooper note. Where's my laughter track? Oh, hang on. Here we go. No, not that one. Okay, good. station uh, yesterday that on Mother's Day they sell 24 billion dollars on for mothers on Mother's Day 24 billion and on Father's Day it's 20 dollars no I'm, no, I'm, no I'm kidding no I don't know what the father's was but it was way it was <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry um, the greatest needs of your home are its spiritual needs The most important thing that you can do for yourself and for your family has nothing to do with your job or material success. Far too many following Hollywood's misguided lead overstress the importance of money. And this is not just men, but I'm, I'm talking to the men today. To overstress the importance of money, forgetting that money can't buy you love. Remember that expression. Money cannot buy you anything that is an inner 
need or responsibility. But spiritual leaders model the truth that the love of money is actually antithetical to your family's real needs. But I've got news for you. There are things more valuable than what you have and what you drive. The father is like a man steering a top-heavy canoe in a world filled with crashing waves and troubles on every side. And they're trying to tell you that it doesn't matter what happens to your son. That's the kind of world. Let some singer tell your child how to live. That's what they tell you. That's nothing but a wave that's trying to bring your child down. But of course, Christianity is so powerful that all of the voices of this world and the choruses of hell cannot stop a dad that has made it his job to get that boy to the other side. Hallelujah. I made up my mind many years ago that if the devil doesn't like it, I don't care. I want my babies to see me praising God. See me lifting my hands. Yes, sir. If someone broke into your home and threatened your children physically, it would just be natural that you would protect them even to the death. Yet physical dangers are not the only threats to your home. In fact, if you can receive it, your children and your future are impacted more by spiritual dangers. And I am calling upon this people today to hear the voice of God. We need to have spiritual protectors. I call every dad to the challenge of protecting your family spiritually. You say, I don't know where the dangers are. That is the problem. That is the problem. The world has lost its way. The church must find it. God is as real today as he has ever been. There is enough power in one fistful of gospel to shake an entire world because God is great and greatly to be praised. And your family needs to see that faith in your life. It's time to recommit to the Bible. You need to get your Bible out of storage. You need to find that Bible and commit your hearts to reading it. And you need to say, I will obey the word of the Lord. Dad, talking to you, Mom, I, I, I'm, I'm talking to, to Dad here. Deliverance from evil is a father's highest achievement. Getting your child to Jesus is your highest priority.